Hello and welcome to the Blackadder's Employment Team podcast, where you have your very own employment lawyer in your pocket. We are aiming to help you navigate the murky and often difficult world of employment law and make sure you keep on the straight and narrow with your staff. Welcome to Season 1, where we are covering disciplinaries or formal hearings where someone might be dismissed or fired. Our aim in this season is to guide you through conducting your own disciplinary procedures from start to finish, making sure you keep in touch with the law. Welcome to our fifth episode in a series of eight podcasts. This podcast is aimed at managers and business owners who require to conduct disciplinary proceedings. So, if you listen to the first four episodes, you should be able to conduct the disciplinary hearing without any bother at all. Today we're going to focus on the disciplinary hearing itself and the role of HR in the proceedings. So we're going to focus on what role HR can play in a formal disciplinary procedure. To help me answer that question, I welcome back my colleague, Andrew Wallace. Hello, Andrew. Morning, Simon. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Do you appreciate we've passed halfway? This is on episode five out of our eight-step process. Therefore, we're past the past the hump. I know it's amazing. Time flies <laughs> when you're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> so it does. Okay, so let's discuss today the role of HR in disciplinary proceedings. Absolutely. And uh, a random fact for this morning is: Did you know that thirty percent of people working in the private sector work for small and medium-sized enterprises, most of which don't actually have a dedicated HR team? Hmm. That means there will be a number of managers going through the disciplinary procedures that aren't having any HR guidance. Hopefully they will have picked up a few key points from our previous four episodes. I see. So I suppose this podcast, this episode here is based for people who do have an HR department or HR manager who assists them with a disciplinary procedure. And as I appreciate, there are 30% of folk um, who do not have such an HR team. Therefore, if you're part of 30% of folk, you can essentially switch off. Yeah, I think that's Fast fair. forward. <laughs> 10 minutes of life, you can choose to do something else instead. Um, what can you do in 10 minutes? Oh, it's easily a couple of chargeable units, a couple of emails in there. <laughs> Clean the bathroom. Couldn't match up your socks. Couldn't listen to meatloaf, though. You could miss to <laughs> meatloaf. I do anything for love lasts for 11 minutes and 58 seconds, as we discovered just earlier today. Therefore, on that basis, you couldn't listen to that song, unfortunately. You could, however, read an inspirational blog. Andy's blog on Game of Thrones is quite good. Yeah, that's a good, good way to use your 10 minutes, I suppose. 10 minutes, 10 minutes well spent. So in any case, if you do have an HR person within your department, um, this is a podcast for you to listen to. Therefore, let's go and focus on that point. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you lucky enough to have HR departments, um, then you should be able to, then they should be able to provide you with advice along the way. You should be aware, though, that the support HR can give you is limited by the law. Today, we're going to determine how far... Um, HR can support you and give those carrying out investigations and disciplinary hearings and uh, where the HR should legally draw the line. Okay, that makes sense. So let's focus on how far HR can assist you as an employer or a manager in these types of proceedings. Uh, interestingly, there was a case just last year on exactly this point, which set out quite clearly how much input an HR advisor could have on a disciplinary procedure. It's important to remember that the person making the decision at a disciplinary hearing about firstly whether or not the disciplinary action is required and secondly what the appropriate sanction should be is the person chairing the hearing itself. That's right, exactly right. So it's actually not the role of HR to reach a decision as to what the sanction should be um, or to decide what needs further investigation. That's the role of the person who's chairing the hearing, the employer 
or the manager. Um, ACAS code or ACAS guidance clearly states that while an investigator may seek advice from a third party such as HR, the conclusions should be their own. Um, this, in my view, also applies to disciplinary hearings. Now, we, we often give advice to clients who want to have a number of decision makers in there to provide support for each other. Um, we often advise them that it's preferable to have only one decision maker at the disciplinary hearing. Things can get a bit messy at an employment tribunal if it reaches that stage when there is more than one decision maker. That's right. And I've seen situations where um, they've said two people have reached a decision to dismiss where these two have been played off against each other and there's been a, a kind of a conflict of evidence between the two of them. So therefore, it's much, much easier um, if you have one person who's decision maker in the process. Oops. So tell me about this, this case you've, you, you've mentioned. Yes, yeah, so this particular case involved an employee who allegedly was using a company car and a credit card for his own personal use. The manager, instructed to carry out the necessary investigations, was also asked to carry out the disciplinary hearing, which is a big no-no as far as, far as we're concerned and something that we would always uh, advise against if possible. Uh, where possible, the investigations and the disciplinary hearings should be carried out by different people so that the disciplinary decision-maker is not influenced by being involved in proceedings at an earlier stage. That makes sense. OK, so what happened in this case, Andy? Uh, yes, well, the manager was actually new to both carrying out an investigation and conducting a disciplinary hearing. He hadn't done in either of these hearings before. He therefore fell back on HR uh, frequently for advice. But you'd expect a manager who's new to these types of things to, to kind of do. Yeah. Uh, when making his decision on the appropriate sanction, the manager created a first draft report which varied substantially from the final draft. I mean, the first draft suggested that the decision maker felt that the credit card misuse was not deliberate and that the employee did have plausible reasons for the volume of the fuel purchased. The final draft, however, was very different and stated that he believed that the employee had misused the company credit card, which amounted to gross misconduct and eventually resulted in his dismissal. OK, so the employee obviously saw after the dismissal the two different drafts. The first draft suggesting that there was a good reason and the second draft saying no good reason, therefore um, that amounts to dismissal. That is quite a turnaround for the two drafts. Um, I suppose in the face of something might have changed his mind or someone might have changed his mind? Quite. I'm not sure how the claimant actually managed to get his hands on the initial draft, but the documentary evidence would certainly suggest that someone had changed the manager's mind, most likely the HR manager who'd been relying on, uh, who he'd been relying on for the advice earlier. Okay, so the suspicion was in this case that after the first draft was done, HR became involved and you know rearranged the decision maker's thoughts whereby they went from um, a good reason to no good reason and dismissal. Um, so that was quite heavy involvement for the HR manager in that case. How does that case, do you think, affect HR managers today? Well, in my view, uh, the case itself outlined the rules of the HR um, and what it should be limited to. It points out that HR is fine to give advice, but it should be restricted to issues of procedure and law, together with examples of any similar situations that have happened in the workplace with the view to make sure, uh, making sure that there is consistency across the board. OK, so really they're there to pr explain procedure to the decision maker, make sure, for example, the content required, invitation letters, length of time of the hearing you know, procedural aspects which crop up during the course of the hearing, making sure all relevant information is passed on to the employee, basically. That's right, and obviously employment law is clear that all employees should be treated consistently. Generally, an HR advisor would be in the best position in the business to know if there were other similar examples of conduct within the workplace. OK, that makes sense. So the HR advisor's role is purely really there as an advisor, not a decision maker if you have an HR advisor present purely there for procedural purposes. That, that's an interesting observation. I can't think of how that would relate to any ordinary um, stuff we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, it's, 
actually almost like that conversation we had on the train coming back from Aberdeen that time. Oh, which uh, conversation? Well, there's been a few conversations that have been questionable nature, but this one in particular was uh, uh, when you came to me looking for advice on your dog name for your new dog. <laughs> I came to looking for advice. That's true. I did. I did say to you, what would be a good name for a dog? Given the fact you're the son of a vet, um, you've had dogs before. It's my first dog. I thought, what can I call my new puppy? Um, and I came to you for advice on that. Very similar to the role a dismissing officer would take with an HR advisor. So the dog itself, she is a black curly-haired dog with a white chin. What names did you suggest, Andrew? Um, there was a few names in there. <laughs> Panther. Panther was one. Panther, I like. Panther ba- was good. Batman was a good one. Vader, that was my, my second favourite was, was Batman, definitely. Vader was my favourite. Vader is a good name. Vader is a good name. They were all good names for a dog, I would suggest. Uh, we also, also suggest you might want to name one after the Western Isles, because you, you go on there, you go on holiday there quite a lot, do you not say? I do, I do. Um, and, you know, in essence, I did take your advice and I compromised and I reached a decision which, you know, I think was acceptable. I decided to call my dog Santa Paws. Santa Paws was the name I chose for my lovely black and white puppy. She's Reasonable. an interesting choice. <laughs> I, thought it was a, I maintain it's a good choice. I think that's a really good choice for a dog. Um, but as you say, you know, you gave me advice about the um, decision-making process and gave me suggestions as to what I could and could not call my dog. Ultimately, I called my dog an acceptable name. Um, so... How do you feel when you go into the vet side when the <laughs> Santa Paws Allison gets called out? <laughs> she's the most popular dog in the vet. She She's loved by the vets. Um, she actually is also called Sanda occasionally too, which is an island on the west of Scotland, as you know. So therefore, Sanda, Santa Paws, it's, it's all fair. Um, so what would you say can't an HR advisor do in relation to giving advice to managers? Yeah, so we've covered what they can give advice on, basically what they can't uh, give advice uh, is with regard to the actual decision for the disciplinary, uh, the person chairing the disciplinary hearing. Okay. Uh, just like I couldn't make the decision for you about naming uh, the dog Santa Paws. You're involved in that, Andrew. Don't deny your responsibility. <laughs> You're involved in that decision-making process. As soon as, as soon as HR are seen to influence the decision on the guilt and the sanction of the employee, then they begin flirting with the possible uh, unfair dismissal claim in the future. Okay, that makes sense. Again, Primarily, although you pretend to your breeder that you call your dog Sanda, it, it was actually your decision to call <laughs> I Santa still dispute. Claus. I think you're involved heavily in that decision-making process, Andrew, but I see, I see the point you're trying to make. Okay, so what you're saying is it's primarily the case if the HR advisors remain hidden throughout the proceedings, that requires to be the, the position. Um, the ACAS code encourages transparency and the employee needs to be aware of who's actually making the decision. There's still no harm in referring any draft decisions to HR um, to ensure they include all the necessary information. However, HR cannot be seen to influence the decision maker's perception of the facts in front of him. So be be careful with this situation. On the point of drafts, it's important to remember also that any written correspondence between HR and any manager about an employee can be requested to be released by the employee himself at a later date. If an employee makes such a request, the employer has a duty to disclose any such document. This can be any document that's on their personnel file or any email or letter that even mentions the employee. Uh, That's different from employment solicitors and the legal privilege that applies to solicitors that protects any discussions from having to be disclosed. Uh, they They don't apply to discussions between a manager or an HR advisor. Yes, we were involved in a case, in fact, last year where we were acting for an employer and prior to going to tribunal, there was a formal order made for disclosure of various documents which mentioned an employee, the employee raising the claim's name. What happened was the the company required to disclose 
all correspondence, including correspondence given by their HR consultant um, to the employer regarding the potential outcomes of the disciplinary hearing. By comparison, the emails sent by Blackadders to the employer weren't disclosed in that process. So it's very you need to be very careful in this kind of situation that as an HR advisor, you don't overstep your role. And similarly, as a decision maker, you don't rely too heavily on HR in the decision making process. Okay, so that is us now, I think at the point of um, Meatloaf to be on, I think we've covered the, the Meatloaf I Do Anything For Love album version 11 minutes 58 seconds. So what are our three takeaway points from today's episode, Andrew? Firstly, that an HR's role during a disciplinary procedure is limited to giving advice on the procedure, the law and providing examples of a similar conduct within the workplace. Okay, um, the second takeaway point is that an HR advisor should not be seen to influence the final disciplinary decision on whether the allegation should be upheld nor any final sanction to be issued. That should be the decision maker reaches that decision, not so much the HR advisor. And lastly, it's just to emphasise that even if you are new to cheering any disciplinary hearing and you haven't done one before, the final decision is yours. You can take all the advice that you want from the relevant sources, but you are responsible for the final decision and you should be comfortable to defend why you made that decision at the end of the day. Good, that makes sense. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed that podcast or this episode. We would, as always, welcome interaction. Um, We've passed halfway in our series of eight podcasts. Therefore, if you have any questions, please do tweet us any questions or email us questions, which we will seek to answer in future podcasts. So any burning questions, please let us know. And any opinions on uh, Simon's dog name, Joyce? (laughs) They will will not be welcomed. I do not want any trolls (laughs) giving me advice on the stupidity of my dog's name. Um, If you use the hashtag to employment lawyer in your pocket, that's probably too long, isn't it? Yeah, probably about half a tweet that. So E-L-I-Y-P? E-Lip. Hashtag E-Lip. It's like a character in Game of Thrones, isn't it? Yeah, just Westeros, about. <laughs> so if you want hashtag E-L-I-Y-P um, E-Lip I'm not sure I like that E-Lip um, that would be something which we will answer any questions for your podcast that's great thanks for listening if you want help with your slackers call Andy at Black Eiders um, cheers and cheerio thank you for listening we hope you found it useful if you'd like any more information on how to conduct a formal disciplinary hearing, then please subscribe to our other episodes on Employment Lawyer in Your Pocket on iTunes. Or, if you want to speak to us directly, we always welcome interaction on Twitter at Employer Simon and Employer Andy. <laughs>